You can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. I'll get there uh, in a little while, and we'll look at some verses there. 2 Corinthians 1, 19. This is a new year, but you don't live a year at a time. You live a day at a time. But now I'm going to share this morning a message that I, I don't like the word challenge. Uh, the, the word of God is the word of God. But I'm praying that God is going to encourage you and speak to you to act very diligently on, on the message today. That you won't leave and say, well, that was the word of God. I'm thankful. But you will say, no, I'm going to make a change here. I'm going I'm to make some changes. I'm going to do some things different you know, uh, this year. And it'll, it'll help you. It, it'll make you much stronger if you'll do what I'm going to share with you this morning. You know, you have to settle the issue. Is this the Word of God? Is it just another book? Is it a good book with principles and guidelines? Or, or is this the living actual word of the living God. Is this God's word? Is it truth without absolutely no error? You realize that this book has stood the test of time. Oh, there are other books, but every year this book is the bestseller. Every year. More Bibles are sold and given than any other book in the world. All of its prophecies have been fulfilled, are there being fulfilled, and will be fulfilled. Anybody that comes to this book seeking God, seeking truth, and reads it with an open heart will be profoundly and dramatically changed by the God of this book and the Christ of this book. This is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16. I mean, it couldn't be any plainer than this, y'all. Just listen to what the Bible says. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, uh, I'm going to get my glasses. It's not that I can't see. I just use glasses every now and then. I can see pretty good, but sometimes when the light's not on. But 2 Timothy 3.16, I want you to listen to this. Verse 15, now listen to what the Bible says about itself. That from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. He said, you've known these Scriptures and they can make you wise for salvation. Through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Now listen to what it says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of this book is God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. You want to know what to believe? This will tell you. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for God to reprove us, for correction. It's profitable for God to correct us and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God may be thoroughly furnished or thoroughly equipped to every good work. I mean, you, you, you can't get beyond all Scripture, profitable for doctrine. Hey, this is the Word of God. But then there's another verse. 
that is absolutely profound. And I believe it with all my heart, just as I do that one. And that is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Listen to what it says. The Word of God. There it is right there. The Word of God is living and powerful. What a statement. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen to what it does. It divides asunder your soul from your spirit. The joints and marrow. And listen to what it is. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of your heart. I mean, this is, this is not just another book. I'm telling you, it is the word of the living God. Now, I want to ask you a question. What part does this book play in your life? I mean, how important is this book to the daily life you live every day? My encouragement to you today is this, that in 2011, to make this book far more important in your life than it has ever been in any time of your life, and that you will absolutely major, major on getting into and understanding the Word of God. Let me tell you why it's so important that you absolutely get into the Word of God. I want to tell you Six things real quick about the Word of God. First of all, this book, reading it, depending on the Holy Spirit to teach it to you, meditating on it, letting it be a vital part of your life. First of all, the Bible says that the Word of God is what enables us to be strong and where we find life. Now listen to the words of Jesus. Strength, life, listen to what Jesus said about the word of God. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, you can't just live on physical food. You have to eat and digest spiritual food. And that is the word of God. He said, you can't live by bread alone. So the word of God is vital for your spiritual life and growth. Secondly, you know what it says about the Bible? That the Bible, God will use the word of God to keep you from sin. Did you know that? It says he'll use the word of God to keep you from sinning. In Psalm 119, verse 10, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Someone said, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. I've hid your word in my heart, Lord, so that I, can, so that I might not sin against you. Not only is this book the word of God, not only is it vital to your strength and your growth, you can't live by bread alone, not only will it help you to overcome temptation and not to sin. Did you know that it says that this book will give you clear direction for your life? Why in the world do we try to determine the direction of our life without the guidebook that God has given us, the Word of God? Do you really want to know God's direction and path for your life? Then you listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet. Wow. And it is a light to my path. Man. 
On and on, the Bible tells us that not only does God use it to strengthen us and keep us from sin, and not only does it give us guidance and direction for our life, but the Bible says um, that God uses it to wash us and to cleanse us. Did you know there's a washing and cleansing power to the Word of God? I promise you when you sit down and read the Bible and whether it's the Psalms, the New Testament, Old Testament, and you read it, there is a cleansing power and effect that comes from the Word of God. Now, you know why I know that? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, he's talking about the church. He said, sanctify your church by the washing of the water of the Word. He said, Lord, set your church apart, make it holy, and you wash your church, your individual believers, with the Word of God. You know, the Bible also says that the source of genuine faith is the Word of God. Did you know that that's what the Scriptures teach? That faith comes from reading and knowing and believing this book. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, now listen to this. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. You will not be the man of God that God has created you and redeemed you to be unless this book is a vital part of your daily life. You will not be the woman of God that God has created you and called you to be unless this book is a vital part of your life. I am telling you, if we ever needed the strength and the wisdom that comes from the Word of God, it is today. And so my my plea for you as your pastor is that in 2011 that this book is going to become primary in your life more important than the newspaper more important than ESPN more important than CNN or whatever else it is I am telling you my friend the people of God must know the word of God and the word of God has to be the strength that we find in our lives as we walk with God every day now in light of that what I'm going to do for the next maybe two or three Sundays I don't know how many Sundays it'll take it just depends when I run out of time each Sunday but uh, I'm going to talk to you about promises promises of God to stand on in 2011 just promises of God for you to stand on in your life in 2011. You know, I got to thinking about the promises of God and how, man, this book is full of promises from God, promises for you and promises from me. Why in the world should we ever live not standing on the promises of God? You know, I'm so thankful I grew up in a, a Bible-believing church. It is a bible believe They believed that Christ was a, on the way of salvation. And, and I'm telling you, I, I'm thankful that I grew up in a church that believed the Word of God. And, and sang great songs. And, and, you know, I just got to thinking about how that we need to stand. We need to live on the promises of God in 2011. And I, and I thought about this great hymn that I, that I uh, you know, sang growing up from the time I went to church. It's called Standing on the Promises. How many of you ever heard that song before? Praise God. Hallelujah. It's not sitting on the premises. It's standing on the promises. I want you to listen to the words of it. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory to the highest, I will shout and sing, because I'm standing on the promises of God. 
Then I love this second verse. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I will prevail. Standing on the promises of God. I love this third verse. I like all of them. Standing on the promises of Christ my Lord. Bound to him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily by the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. I like this last one. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. I'm standing on the promises of God. I think we need to sing that chorus. Don't you need we need? Now, I know some of you are not going to like this, but no, you're going to like it. You can't sing standing on the promises sitting down. You can't do that. So stand up. I mean, you can't sing it sitting down. You say, I'm comfortable. Well, get uncomfortable. Why don't we just sing? Let's just sing the chorus. You ready? You just start singing and we'll go where the Lord leads us. Are you ready? Standing on the promises of Christ, Lord. Wait a minute. We got it. Let let me tell you where we're going to start. Hold on. Let, Let me look. Let's see. Uh, we got to sing the first verse. We'll sing the first verse, then the chorus will come naturally. Okay, you ready? Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Chorus. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. And all God's people said? Now you can be seated. Now I want to mention to you some promises that we're going to look at in the next few weeks. Probably two or three Sundays. I want to speak to you about the following promises that we're going to deal with in the next weeks. First of all, I want to um, encourage you to meditate and read and study the Word of God. And I want you to read that verse now over in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.19. See, this verse has been in there all along, but I am telling you, 2 Corinthians 1.19, I want you to listen to what it says about the promises of God. And you you can put this on your refrigerator and you just remember this. Because we're talking about living on his promises. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among, uh, among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. said, we preach Jesus, the Son of God, to you. And in him, the word was yes. But now listen at this. For the promises of God in Christ are yes. And in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. You hear what he said? Listen, all of God's promises in Christ to us are yes and amen. To the glory of God through us. Hey, Romans 4, talking about the promises of God. It says that Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. 
but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, that what God, listen, this is Abraham's faith, that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, There are given, given to us exceeding, now listen to it, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, I'm telling you, this is a book of promises. It is a book of promises of God to you and to me. And these promises are to be believed and are to be acted on and are to be lived by. Now, what are some of the promises that we're going to ask God just to burn into our hearts for 2011? One, on God's abiding presence. In other words, we really want to know the promise of God about his abiding presence. Number two, here's another area. We want to know the promises of God on his leadership and direction in our life. Number three, the promises of God in affliction and trouble. The promises of God when we face fear. The promises of God concerning forgiveness. The promises of God concerning victory over temptation. The promises of God concerning prayer. The promises of God concerning his provision for our life. The promises of God for strength and daily power to live. And the tenth one is the promises of God about heaven and about earth. Now, today I'm going to start, and I'll just have time probably to do this just first one, which is fine. Because this is the heart of all of them. Now, if you believe this, it'll affect every, everything you, every way you live in 2011. I promise if, if you believe this promise... In 2011, doesn't matter what you walk through, doesn't matter what you face, doesn't matter what goes on around you. If you believe this promise of God and you act on it by faith, just say, God, you said it, that settles it. I guarantee you. I want to speak to you about the promise of God's abiding presence. You see, you've got to understand something. It's not God up there and you down here. It's God right down here. In the midst of us. You understand that. I mean. The Bible is so full of God's promises. About God's abiding presence. In our life. Now in the Old Testament. The, the difference between the Old Testament. The Old Covenant. And the New Covenant. Is absolutely remarkable. And amazing. Now hear me. In the Old Testament. God was with people. The presence of God was with people in the Old Testament. Now, and we'll just show you one of the classic passages. Turn to Exodus chapter uh, 33. Listen to this. God had told Moses, now I want you to lead these people onto the promised land and all that stuff. And so Moses just had a little conversation with God. In Exodus 33, verse 12, I'm talking about the abiding presence of God, the promises about the presence of God, and I'm talking about the presence of God with his people in the Old Testament. Exodus 33, 12, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You're telling me to take them to the promised land, but you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. Yet you've said, he said, God, this is what you told me. You've said, I know you, I know you by name. Lord, you said you know me by name and that I have found grace in your sight. 
Now he's talking to the Lord. He says, now therefore, I pray you, God, if I have found grace in your sight, would you show me your way? Now, Lord, you're going to have to show me your way that I might know you. And that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Now, listen to what God said to Moses. Moses said, you said you know my name. And you said that I found grace in your sight. Now, if that's the case, you've you, you got to send me somebody. But boy, I want you to listen to what he said in verse 14. And God said, my presence, capital P, will go with you. And I will give you rest. God said, Moses, don't sweat it. I am not going to send somebody. I am going to go with you. My presence will go with you. And then he said, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, then do not bring us up from here. So right there, God's promise to Moses, my presence will go with you. Then I get to thinking about, see, in the Old Testament, there was the promise of God's abiding presence with the people. Then I got to thinking about David. Let me give you some verses where David talked about God's presence. Psalm 1611. Man, you... You just need to study these and just claim these promises. In Psalm 1611, I want you to listen to what it said about the presence of God. All right, in verse 11, listen to this. You will show me the path of life, promise. In your presence, oh God, I'm in your presence, is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm talking about the abiding presence of God with his people in the Old Testament. But then one of the great ones about God's abiding presence is the 23rd Psalm. I I want you to listen to this. I mean, it is so personal. I mean, it just blows you away. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, my, I shall not want. But now listen to his presence. He makes me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What about his presence? He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me. That's his presence in the paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Are you ready for this? For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 123, 6. Goodness, Psalm 23, 6. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Hey, listen. In the Old Testament, the presence of God abided with his people. It was called the Shekinah glory of God. In other words, what happened was this. They built the tabernacle. There was the outer court. There was the, the, the holy place. And then there was the holy of holies where the mercy seat and all that was. You ask any Israelite, where is the presence of God? And they would say the presence of God is in the holy of holies. His glory was there in the Holy of Holies, which was the presence of God with them. They knew God was with them. The glory of God was there in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in once a year. And they knew the presence of God. When the tabernacle moved, they moved. Sometimes they would see God's presence in a cloud or see God's presence in fire. And when the cloud moved, they would move. Listen, in the Old Testament, the whole story of Israel was that was the presence of God with the nation of Israel. God's Abraham's descendants. It was the presence of God with them. One other 
thing about the presence of God in the Old Testament with his people. Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee from your spirit? Man, if I go to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're there. If I go make my bed in hell, you're there. If I say the darkness will cover me, even your presence will be like to me. So I'm going to tell you one thing about the children of Israel. This is what they knew. What made them different, what made them distinct, what gave them courage was the fact that they knew there was the presence of the living God. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob was with them. And when Israel was walking with God, nothing could touch them. It's only when they rebelled against God that they got in trouble. And so we see the presence of God with his people in the Old Testament. But it is far greater for us who live in the New Testament, for those who are living in the new covenant. Now you've got to get this. See, if you get this and you believe the promise of God, then, then I'm telling you, you, you can face anything. You can go through any valley, climb any mountain, because you've got this uh, uh, absolute promise from God of his abiding presence. In the Old Testament, it was the presence of God with his people. In the New Testament, the new covenant, it's the presence of God in his people. No longer is God just with us. God has come to live inside of us by the Holy Spirit and in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you've you got to see this. If you see all that went on at Pentecost and all that, then you're going to understand how we are living not just with God's presence with us, but the presence of the living God inside of us in his son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. I want to read you a scripture about the presence of God inside of us. In John chapter 16, everything changes in two or three words. It's amazing how just two or three words in a verse will make everything change. It says here, Jesus says in John 14, 16, now get him, listen, I will pray the Father. And he will send you another helper. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to send you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Well, who is this helper? The Spirit of truth. He said, I'm going to pray the Father. He's going to send you the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. It neither receives him nor knows him, but you know him. Now listen to what he says. He dwells with you, but he will be in you. Do you realize what you just went was from the old covenant where God was with people, where Jesus said, I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and he is with you, but he's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. It's not going to be God with you. It's going to be the Spirit of God in you. Now, have you ever wondered why Pentecost was so important? We know about creation. That was important. We know that. We know about the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. That was important. We, we know about uh, the virgin birth of Christ. We just celebrated it. We know about the sinless life of Christ. We know about the, uh, the death of Christ on the cross, the crucifixion. We know about his glorious resurrection. And we know about his ascension. But just as important was Pentecost. And why in this world 
was Pentecost so important? Because it was at Pentecost that the Spirit of God no longer was with people. It was at Pentecost that the Spirit of God came to live in people. Now, let me tell you something that's awesome. I mean, it is absolutely awesome. In Acts chapter 2, I want you to notice what happened at Pentecost. They waited for 40 days. Jesus told them to tarry at Jerusalem till they would be endued with power from on high. And so in Acts chapter 2, I want you to listen to what happened. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now here comes the helper. Here comes the Holy Spirit. There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, I'd missed this a thousand times. I didn't have, but buddy, when I, I don't know where I heard it or saw it, but I'm telling you, it's absolutely revolutionary. It said, fill the house where there was a, then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and it set on each of them. And of course, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But now here is the absolute amazing thing. To everyone in that open room, upper room, there came a divided tongue of fire, fire, and it set on every one of them. You know what that was a picture of? The entrance of God back into their lives because God was referred to over and over again as the fire. When, Mo- when Moses was, God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, it was a burning bush and fire and it did not burn. Over in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. You say, what were those divided tongues of fire all about? It was the absolute awesome picture of the presence of God, not only being with people, but the presence of God going into their lives. It was God coming back to live inside of his creation. So awesome, friend. Listen, you know, we're not living in a day when God is with us. No, we're living in a day in which the fire of God, the very presence of God has come to live in us. And it is not God with us. It is God inside of us. Now, let let me give you a verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Now listen to this verse. Because you say, well, I hope God's going to be with me. If you're a child of God, there's never going to be a time when he's not with you. Well, I hope when I walk through that valley, Jesus will be there. What do you mean he'll be there? He's a, when you got saved, he came to live inside of you and he'll never, ever depart. Why should we ever be afraid? Why should we ever absolutely cower down to the world, the flesh, and the devil? Because I want to tell you something. The living God is not with us. The living God has come to live inside of us. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. You, you better believe it because it's the word of God and it's a promise from God. Listen to 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What? Now just listen to this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you have from God. And you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Now look at the difference. 
In the Old Testament, the presence of God and the glory of God and the Spirit of God lived in the Holy of Holies, above the mercy seat. Now, the Spirit of God, the the glory of God, the presence of God is no longer living in the Holy of Holies. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God has come to live in us by His Spirit and His Son. And here's the promise. It is the promise of the abiding presence of God. Wherever we go, whatever we find, when you are a child of God, there's a promise of His presence. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to give you about five verses. Just, then I'm going to, we're going, I'm going to read something. Once you become a Christian... Jesus Christ has come to live in you by the Holy Spirit, and he'll never leave you. You'll never be without his presence. That's why. Listen. Boy, I'm telling you, this is good. See, when Christ comes to live in you by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is in you, now you wonder why you feel uncomfortable when you're looking at something you ought not look at because the Holy Spirit of God is in you, and he's having to look at it too. You're wondering why sometimes you feel uncomfortable when you go places and you know you ought not go there. You know why? Because you've taken the Holy Spirit of God with you in there, and he is very uncomfortable. I guarantee you with an indwelling Holy Spirit and with the presence of Christ in you, when a child of God is around evil or participating in evil, I'm telling you, God inside of them just has an absolute fit because God is holy. Man, I love these verses. Colossians 1.27. Paul said it used to be a mystery, which was a spiritual truth not yet revealed. But this mystery has now been revealed even to the Gentiles, which is, listen to it, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of God's glory. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but now Jesus Christ comes to live in us, and he says, now you can, be, you can fulfill the glory of God. Christ in you. Not Christ out there, not Christ up there, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love Colossians chapter. 3, verse 3. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is a promise. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, come on. He said, when you came, became a Christian, he put to death your old nature in Adam. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then it says in the next verse, when Christ, who is our life, appears. We shall appear with him in glory. It didn't say when Christ, who one day will be our life, appears. He said, no, no. You died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears. He's our life. I mean, Galatians 2.20. Friend, listen. This is a promise from God. You're crucified with Christ. He put to death your old sinful nature. You're crucified with Christ. Now you're living, but it's not you. It's not you. It's Christ living in you. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. See, he lives in me. I can do all things through Christ. 
who is my strength. Listen, I want to tell you something. It is the promise of God's abiding presence, of God's abiding presence that absolutely revolutionizes our understanding of the Christian life, that Christ comes to live in us. Hebrews 13, 5. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know why? Because he lives inside of you. You know, the world doesn't have any idea. They have no clue about that. They think it's God up there and God up there. And, and, and the people who don't understand this truth about the abiding presence of Christ, well, Jesus is somewhere and he's with us and it's nice to have Jesus around and we'll call on him. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. I'm telling you, if you're a child of God, Jesus Christ lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit and he will never leave you. And I am telling you, that's why you are forever changed by the power of God. It is Christ. In you, the hope of glory. So it doesn't matter what you go through, you never go alone. Doesn't matter what you face, you never face alone. Because here's the promise of God's abiding presence. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm crucified with Christ. But I'm alive, yet not I. It's Christ that lives in me. And when Christ, who is my life, appears. So I'm going to ask you, are you going to live 2011? Living on the promise of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in your life. Friend, I'm telling you, it's revolutionary. I'm not saying you won't be tempted. I'm not saying there won't be a battle. I'm not saying you won't have any trials. I am not saying that. But you're going to get up in the morning and say, praise God, Jesus Christ lives in me. And therefore, my body is a temple of his Holy Spirit. And I am not alone in whatever. Well, I'm just going to read this to you. I wrote this down yesterday. Based on the promise of God, of his abiding presence in us. Now, I'm talking about people that are saved. I'm not talking about religious people. I'm not talking about church members. I'm talking about people who've seen, who've repented of their sins, repented of their sins, realized their lost condition, knew that only Jesus and Jesus only could save them. And they can look you in the eye and say, I know one thing. Christ lives in me. He's living in me. And I'm not trusting in anybody or anything but Jesus. He is my only hope for salvation here and there. I'm talking about people who are children of God. This is absolutely What's true? It says all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Now here's my confession. I, I, may, I may say it every morning early when I wake up and trying to get conscious, you know. Some people are, wake up, you know, alert. You know, they wake up alert. Lord, I, I mean, but, th- th- this, but when you get alert, here, here's what it is. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ You live in me. All that you are, Jesus, you are in me. You are my life. Your living presence in me, Jesus, you are my wisdom. You are my righteousness. You are my sanctification. You're my redemption, and you are my strength. In you, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you live in me, and I am complete in you. That no demand will be made on my life today that is not a demand on the life of Jesus Christ that is in me. Without you, Jesus, I'm nothing, but in you, Jesus, I'm complete. Without you, Jesus, I can do nothing, 
But through you, Jesus, I can do all things. Are you going to believe God's promise of his abiding presence? That he's not just with you, but that he's inside of you. The living Christ, the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, man, I think about, and I, I, I say this with a broken heart. I think about the Buddhist who just lived with a bunch of principles. Buddha didn't even believe in God. He just believed in his teachings. They made him a God. I, I believe in, um, I, mean, I feel for the Hindus who have about 180,000 gods. And if they do good, they'll be reincarnated and gradually move up the scale. They, they know nothing about a personal God. And the Muslims who basically is religion of fear, no really hope of ever being anywhere close to God. But here we are with this book, the word of the living God. And in that book are great promises. And the greatest promise of all is that when we repent of our sins and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, that the God who created us now comes to live inside of us. We're a body, a soul, and a spirit, and we're now spiritual. The God who created us comes to live inside of us by his Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in us by the Holy Spirit, and we're never, ever separated from him. He is our life, and he lives in us. Listen, I am telling you, when you know that in your heart, it changes everything. Believe Stand on the promise of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in your life. Stand on that promise. Let nothing shake you from it. Let's pray together.